Cameron DeBasher. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're just marching right through the book of Psalms this quarter. And this week we're on lesson number eight, titled Wisdom for Righteous Living. Uh, this is a, a pretty self-evident title here. It's a, we're going to talk about wisdom from the Psalms that regards and probably our... probably some righteous living. Exactly. It has to deal with practical daily life. And that's good. We don't want to just spend our time in the ethereal clouds. We want to put our feet on the ground and get to work. Well, um, I couldn't help think when you said we're marching through the Psalms, this would be a very poor military march because we're more meandering through the Psalms. <laughs> well, I, we are. We are. <laughs> we haven't been kind of like a Psalm one, two, three, four. I'm not. That's Let's not just a, say we're progressing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a march or a plod or a because walk or a stroll. Because it's kind of more been more a topical study of the Psalms. It, yes, it is definitely not a chronological or anything like and, that. Looking at the different facets of God and what we praise Him for, and this week, obviously, for His, for His practical insights, yes, for righteous living. Amen. <laughs> well, with that introduction in hand, why don't you, if you'd be so kind, give us a word of prayer, and we'll get going. Yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Your Word. We thank You for the quarterly quarterly lesson, Lord, as uh, a guide. We pray that. Your Holy Spirit would be with us and give us understanding in spiritual things. We pray a special blessing upon those who will be teaching this lesson, that you would use them in such a way as to uplift, encourage, inspire, and motivate your people. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, as is our custom, we do have three talking points this week, though I'll tell you, I was sorely tempted to have fewer talking points Maybe only two. I thought about even just having one, but there are multiple points here we're going to bring out. But number one, true righteousness is intensely practical. You know, we talk some. Well, I'm not going to get into the discussion about it, but it comes all the way through this week's lesson. Sabbath, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, <laughs> Tuesday and Thursday kind of took a break, but we'll take a look at that. Uh, number two, God is working for your good. That comes from Tuesday and Thursday, and that's what we took out of that other week. So, so part. it's almost as if you know the true righteousness is intensely practical. We're looking at the practical aspects, and then two is kind of looking at the motivational aspect of I could, living I, a righteous. You life. could say that. But you could also to some degree. We want to make sure that whenever we say that we're talking about practical living, it's not just all right. Here's all the stuff God does for you. Now here's the gift you do. Yeah. You do this. There's a partnership with God in our character that's development right. here. And finally, point number three, righteous living is worth it, with an exclamation point. Um, sometimes, we, and I don't mean just worth it in the eternal sense that we're going to get heaven then, but even now, yes. righteousness is better than not. Amen. So, let's start with number one. All right. True righteousness is intensely practical. If you would turn to Psalm 90, please, I'm going to ask you to read just a few verses there that kind of speak to this issue that... All through the Psalms, there's a consistent and right portrayal of God as supreme over all other things, while we are limited and finite. So, for instance, Psalm 90, verses 1 through, like, 3. Yeah, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. Right, and he goes on and on to to basically draw the contrast between the great, eternal, supreme God 
and finite limited man. Mm. And that's exactly what it is. So in this psalm, this, the psalmist goes on to draw that sharp contrast between the eternal God and the finite man until we get to verse 12, where it says, okay, in light of all of this, what do we do about it? And why don't you read verse 12? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Okay. So I like that, that, that it starts with that word, so. That means in light of this greatness that God is. and God's the, infinite, but we're not. And, and so especially not being infinite, we need to make the most of Exactly. We've days. got this. This is our frame here that we have to work within. So what are we going to do with it? So it draws, and I, I think that really summarizes where we've gone from the lesson. We've talked about the mercy of God and the grandeur of God and the, all the kind of stuff. But so in light of that, what do we do about it? Yeah. Well, we have to measure our days. We have to take account of this life and do something with it, right? It, it, it makes me think we, of course, we just came through Ephesians and in Ephesians... Um, you know, chapter 5, redeeming the time, mm. for the days are evil. Well, you can't redeem. Time that was past is past. But because there's a limited time, Paul's point was, we need to make the most of that Absolutely. time. And, and that's what I see David saying here in this psalm. And it's still inside actually, of that it's psalm. it's a prayer of Moses, Psalm 90. So. Okay. Well, so to teach us to number our days, and the very next phrase is, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So mm-hmm. the, it seems like the highest objective as we, as we look at the infinite of God and, and the limitness of man, we say, okay, here's where I am. This is what I've got. These are my days. Mm-hmm. And what is my goal with those days? To gain a heart of wisdom. To have that heart mm-hmm. transformation that I can become more like Jesus, right? Amen. Monday had a great sentence in paragraph four about wisdom, what it really means. Wisdom in the Bible depicts not merely intelligence, but reverence for God. <laughs> right. So you could look at this and say, you just want to have a higher IQ. You just want to know more stuff. But clearly, the mind and heart is reference to the character. And the wisdom we have is not just a Mm -hmm. more informed will or more experienced heart. What we want is a transformed heart and mind. And that's the wisdom that the psalmist is speaking of, right? Yes. So, the wisdom that we need, if this is our goal, is to get the wisdom that leads to that transformation of character, to be more like God, where do we find it? Where do we access it? Well, repeatedly in Scripture and over and over in the Psalms, we find that the wisdom we need for practical righteousness is right here in the Scriptures. That's one of the main reasons God gave us a Scripture, is to, is to produce within us that transformation, that mm-hmm. wise new heart. For example, Psalm 111, verse... I don't know if you're there. Yep. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments... Mm-hmm. His praise endures forever. I love that. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you recognize God, you see his infinite greatness, and you fear his, you understand his mercy and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. So mm-hmm. once you have that recognition of God, the application is now, by the, by the knowledge of his word, I want to be transformed. John seven seventeen. if any man wills to do yes. his will, mm-hmm. he will know of the doctrine, whether it's of God or... That's... Uh, you know, what Jesus said in John 7, 10, just a very much of a reiteration of what we're seeing here. Or even think of, Which he who loves me, keep Jesus my commandments. Which said here, yeah. too. Yeah, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's the same idea. Is that there's always that love God, fear God, and keep his commandment. That combination but, but is always there. But the thing there. that I'm, I'm looking at is, in John seven seventeen, you can't understand the doctrine mm. if you're not willing to do the doctrine. Yes. And so, in the passage here, the fear of the Lord 
uh, uh, is the beginning of wisdom a good understanding have those who do his commandments if you're not willing to because we don't do his commandments in our own strength it's that partnership as you yes. said and if i'm not willing to enter that partnership i'm not going to understand those spiritual things right and so, so that, that exactly well there's a great statement from sunday paragraph one why don't you read that for us about the bible depicts Yes, the Bible depicts a daily life of faith as a pilgrimage or a walk with God in his path of righteousness. The life of faith is maintained by walking in the law of the Lord, Psalm 119, verse 1, and by walking in the light of your countenance, Psalm eighty-nine, fifteen. You know, I can't help but think of this walk, the, the path, the, the journey of the righteous. Mm-hmm. This is reframed again by the Apostle Paul over and over I mean, we've had that quarterly on the yes. book of Ephesians. Yes. How many times do you talk about who walk in the spirit, who not, who don't walk in the ways of the righteous, right. uh, the wicked, and the this idea of it's not just a phrase that Paul liked or a motif mm-hmm. that was handy. Apparently, it is is a very apt description. Old and New Testament writer. It's an inspired description for the experience of the Christian. That it is a walk. It is a journey. And we need guidance on the way. There's going to be growth and development. There's going to be trials and temptations. But it's all leading to something greater. That God expects of us to have a progressive experience with him through his word. So, Absolutely. I think of, you know, we could, we could have a whole lesson just on the psalmist's regard for the word of God. But you think of the longest psalm in all of the Bible is Psalm 119. And what does it do? It extols the grandeur, the power, the transformational power in the life of the Word of God. You think of verse 11 in Psalm 119. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That the, the guidance, the direction that we need for this journey of life is only found in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. You were looking up something there? Well, yeah, along this whole idea of the, this this practicing righteousness of walking, mm-hmm. um, this statement came to my mind. It's from the General Conference Daily Bulletin of April 3, 1901. Ellen White says, um, Truth is not truth to those who do not practice it. Mm. Truth is only truth to you when you live it in the daily life showing the world what those people must be who are at last saved. Wow. Truth so, is not truth until you do it. Tr- tr- yeah. A theory of truth is not truth. Truth is a living thing. It's a, mm. It takes possession of the life, and this is what we're seeing in this. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that, you know, when the Psalms talk about the grandeur of God, we could just sit back and discuss it, but then go live a life completed. He's like, right. that's, not really li- that's not really understanding. That's not the heart of wisdom that God wants us to have, just knowing texts and verses. So... Yeah, there are a lot of atheists who have read the Bible through and through right. and don't do anything with it as far as practice. They can talk intelligently somewhat as to, you know, theories in the Bible or phrases in the Bible. But Well, yeah, I was going to say, have you ever noticed that if you listen to, not that we should read Christians or listen to, too. you know, uh, infidel scholars or authors right. or whatever, wise in this world, they often know Scripture. They can refer mm-hmm. to it. They can quote passages. They mm-hmm. can cite certain uh, texts. And you think like, oh, well, they're deeply learned. Well, yeah, they, they love it for literature, mm-hmm. for a good cultural reference. But the transforming power hasn't done anything. For them, it's just 
another book of wisdom. You know, but it's not the wisdom God wants until it does something in us. That's right. So let's talk about that. One of the things that the the Word of God does bring out is the nature of our circumstance here in the fallen world and the temptations we face and how it works. For instance, if you're you could look up Psalm one one, and I'm gonna look up one forty one, verse four, and they both speak to the same thing. Now listen to the the progression of thought in these complementary passages here. Psalm one forty one, verse four says, "Do not incline my heart." to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. So you're going from, you know, inclining the heart to practicing. Now you're sitting down and eating with Mm -hmm. them. You've joined in with them, right? There's a progressive nature of sin that the scripture counsels us about and guards us against. See it again in Psalm 1. Very similar to Psalm 1. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So you go from walking and then standing, and it's like almost like you're walking by something. You stop and look at it for a minute, mm-hmm. and then you kind of sit down and settle into it. Yeah, and there's this... The, it's interesting how when you study the... And we, there are other passages we can look at about how the nature of temptation, like existing in the fallen world does not make one a sinner. Jesus did it, right? But never did he yield to any of those things. He didn't linger and sit down and then partake of and become a part of the wickedness, right? right. And the scripture counsels against that. Wednesday, paragraph five, it says, these Psalms describe the progressive, alluring, and cunning character of temptation, which underscores the fact that only total dependency on the Lord can secure one's victory. Mm -hmm. Which brings us, handily enough, to talking point number two, that God is working for your good. Now, it could be the case that people could speak about the creative power of God, his acts in history to deliver his people, his judgment that he's currently sitting in, or even his great mercy, but then still look at the practical counsel and said. All that God is doing up there. Mm-hmm. But what I've got to do down here, I just got to follow the rules. I got to button up. I got to tighten up. I got to resist that mm-hmm. temptation. Not recognizing that God not only is doing stuff out there, but he's doing stuff in here. He, mm-hmm. he's, act, he's an active agent in our Christian walk. It's not just an aspirational God that we hope to get there someday. He's here with us now working for our best interest. So I put it in the notes this way. One important way God works for our good is by testing and therein growing our faith. He purposefully leads us into challenging areas. Not that he's the tempter, but he's guiding and directing our steps in such a way that we will, by necessity, come to a point of decision. Are we going to rely on him more? Are we going to practice what he tells us to do? Or are we going to fall back on our old habits? And if so, expose a need of coming closer to him. This is um, all throughout the Bible. You think of Abraham's faith, and I just put in the notes Genesis 22, the culmination when he sacrificed mm-hmm. Isaac. But all along the way, he's, he runs. He was called out from his people. Then he goes into a land, oh, but there's famine there. Then he goes down into Egypt. And then he's got the, the Isaac and Ishmael thing, you know, with the wives. And it's not until Genesis 22 that God makes this ultimate sacrifice call to see if he would actually obey, right? You see the same thing in Joseph. Joseph was a wonderful kid. Why did God treat him so poorly? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, he was testing him. The Psalm 105 talks about how Joseph was tested when he went down into Egypt. Who would he really be in time of difficulty? And his character shown through, praise mm-hmm. the Lord. 
You think of the ancient Israelites. The Psalms go back to these testings of the Israelites again and again. Think of Merah in Exodus chapter 15 with the water there. Manna in Exodus chapter 16, how the Lord tested them by causing them to hunger. And the waters of Meribah, Psalm 81 verse 7, talk about how the Lord tested them there to see their faith. And so progressively, we could have a whole lesson on this too, but the, the example of the children of Israel collectively, historically, is written, as Paul said, for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come, right? The idea being, their walk from Egypt to Canaan is a beautiful metaphor and instructive for our walk from this mm-hmm. earth to the next world, right? And he, God did cause them to hunger, did cause them to thirst, did put them in, but why? It wasn't to harm them, it was to help them. He was partnering with them to draw out that character. I mean, think about this. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to that wilderness of temptation just to prove, to demonstrate who he really was, right? That this Mm -hmm. is one of God's mechanisms for drawing and affirming who we are is by leading us in sometimes difficult places. Well, I was thinking back to, you mentioned Joseph. And we know from inspiration, the book Patriarchs and Prophets, that, that Joseph had not chosen God as his own personal God until he was in that caravan on the way to exactly Egypt. Exactly right. So as much as he grew up and was in a God-fearing family, and I'm sure he went to church and he had <laughs> you know all these experiences, it was never his personal commitment to God until that trial came in his life. And, and Ellen White actually says that he started out with, uh, I, I remember she uses the word terror. Mm. You know, in other words, I mean, he sees himself going away from home and just, what are you thinking? Like, I'm never going to see my family. You know, what's going to happen to me? And just, you're totally freaking out. Yes. And then she said that gave way to him remembering his father's God and then making that commitment. Yes. So, you know, we don't think of God bringing terrifying circumstances, but in this particular case, it was the thing that was needed to save Joseph's soul. So God was working for his good. And to be clear, we've talked about the mercy of God who helps people. And so... We, this is not taking anything away from, like, the only way he helps you is by hurting you and seeing that. Like, right. But it is one of the mechanisms he uses. He he tests our character. He tests us through trial and circum, circumstances. Then as we grow through those, we actually have a deeper appreciation for him and a likeness mm-hmm. to his heart. Why don't you read that paragraph four from Tuesday's lesson there? The goal of divine discipline is to strengthen God's children and to prepare them for the fulfillment of the promise, as shown in Joseph's example. Right. So clearly the Lord's discipline is not punitive. It's redemptive. It's it's developing that heart and character as Joseph exemplifies. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about one more thing in the final few minutes here. That righteous living is worth it. I really enjoyed, of all the parts of this week's lesson, the opening of Friday's uh lesson there, because it, I thought, brought some really good insight. Why don't you read that first paragraph, please? In these modern times, obtaining wisdom seems not to be so desirable as achieving happiness. Mm. People would rather be happy than wise. However, can we truly be happy and live a fulfilled life without godly wisdom? The Psalms clearly say that we cannot. The good news is that we are not asked to choose between wisdom and happiness, Godly wisdom brings genuine happiness. I love that so much. The idea, and and maybe I'm just coming from a young person who, you know, (laughs) I guess a former young person 
who who remembers like, oh man, if I do this, it's going to take. You're away always from younger this. than somebody. That's true. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. That, that was a wise, aged remark you gave me in my youth. Thank you. But the idea being that. You know, the, the the world is tempting and alluring and inviting. And it seems in that context that all of God's ways are restrictive and limiting and less fun. You know, and it, this is a brilliant ploy of Satan to p- take people who are free to walk with Christ and have them choose not to. Just because it just doesn't look as interesting and fun. And well, we read there in Psalm 1, blessed is the man. That word means happy. Happy is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The, the Bible here is telling us, like, you want happiness, this is happiness. All these other things are not going to bring you happiness. You can try. I've tried. I know you've tried. Mm-hmm. And it's true. <laughs> it, it is true. But what, it's, it's so almost counterintuitive to the human nature yes. that looks to the, the forbidden as the great reward. Right. Right? And it, how many times do we think the blessed, and we think, oh, that's spiritual, and the great blessing will come someday. When Jesus you know. comes again, and there's a great... And all of our children's things with our, our little, um, you know, the, the felt pictures, mm. it's always perfect weather. Everything yeah. there, the animals be there. But right now, it's just a... The, I want to drive home, and I think that the, the scripture does a good job of this, that happiness is not a deferred hope, but it can be an actual realized experience, even now. It's a, it's, but it's a, it's a, an experience that is not understood by the ungodly. So, for example, okay. you, any Christian has encountered at some point somebody saying, "Oh, you're not allowed to do that." Come on now. And uh, and and I've told people it's kind of like this. It's like you're, you know, you're feasting on the best food that there is. You know, that's what your your fare is. That's what yeah. you eat in life. You go by a dumpster one day, and there's somebody there sitting in the dumpster, driving into, found some scraps of food, and said, "Hey, you want some of this?" Oh wait, you're not allowed to have this, are you? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, um, I don't want to have that. I've got allowance wasn't my first that, thought. Right? Yeah. But that's but that really is what a worldling thinks. They're mm. like, oh, you're not allowed to have that. Um, you know what? I wouldn't want it. I am allowed. I just don't want it. Yeah, I know? just and prefer not. And the Lord can change our better. taste and make us appreciate those good things. For instance, you yes. look at Psalm 112, and we're not going to read the whole thing here, but. For example, verse 1, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Delights, not just obeys, right? His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there rises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. These aren't things that are listing off as like hopes that we have in a heaven someday. Right. He's like, no, no, no. Your household's going to be strong. You're going to be right. better. You're going to be more generous and kind. You're going to have a better reputation. You're going to have a better life now. And I think that's, um, you've trained on this in Mark chapter mm-hmm. 10. Uh, why don't you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, 29 and 30. Of course, this is after the story of the rich young ruler. And he mm-hmm. goes away sorrowful. And the disciples are like, hey, w- w- what do we get? <laughs> and... Uh, uh, in fact, verse 28 says, Peter began to say to him, See, we've left all and followed you. <laughs> so Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. 
mm. houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with with persecutions. Okay, okay. there's going to be hardships, but you're still going to have better here and now and in the age to come eternal life. Amen. I'm just I'm just I guess I'm I've got a little passion about this because so often we think of the hope as when Jesus comes again, right. then things like it's a, until then you're just grinding it out, yeah, slogging yeah. through this world. Come on, one day it was not. Well, in I'm the, miserable, <laughs> but one day at least I hope. Probably after I die. Yeah, it's like that is <laughs> that is not the way to live as a Christian. Steps to Christ, page forty six. One of my favorite quotes says, "God does not require us to give up anything that is for our best interest to retain. In all that He does, He has the well being of His children in view." Would that all who have not chosen Christ might realize that he has something vastly better to offer them than they are seeking for themselves. Hmm. Man is doing the greatest injury and injustice to his own soul when he thinks and acts contrary to the will of God. No real joy can be found in the path forbidden by him who knows what is best and who plans for the good of his creatures. It is his purpose to impart peace and rest to all who come to him for the bread of life. He requires us to perform only those duties that will lead our steps to heights of bliss to which the disobedient can never attain. The true joyous life of the soul is to have Christ formed within the hope of glory. You know, the contrast is so stark. Those poor folks who think they're leading to happiness aren't even coming close. When if you surrender that, follow the Lord as the Psalms direct, you know, let his light, the light mm-hmm. of his word direct your path, your, your journey will be more joyful in the here and now and just not, the, not merely the reward at yeah, the end. Absolutely. In that statement, it says, no real joy can be found in the path forbidden mm. by him who knows. The path forbidden is not a path of joy. And it makes me think of Psalm 8411 that says, No good thing will God withhold yes. from him who walks uprightly. Yes. Like if he's withholding it, it's not because it's for your good, it's because it's for your bad. Yes. John, John 1010, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He's not talking about just eternal life, as we've already seen. It starts here and now. Yes. Like the only thing God is withholding or forbidding in this statement is what isn't for our good. Yeah. And so your life, if you follow Christ and have that heart of wisdom, you count the days, you follow the instruction of the light of, you're going to have a better experience while we look for the coming of Jesus. And when it comes, it's even better. The lesson brings that out Thursday, paragraph four. While the righteous receive many blessings in this life, the fullness of God's favor awaits them when Mm -hmm. God's kingdom is fully recovered at the end of time. So basic, you could look at it like, man, if I choose Jesus today, my life now, and in the... immediate future will continue to get better and then when he comes again i'll go seamlessly from this world to the next world it will just only expand with persecutions in this life yeah yeah, it'll get better but we i still live in a world of sin but it's still going to be better right and then we cross that threshold the reward of the righteous Mm. infinitely better infinitely better well i thought there was a great summary statement in sabbath afternoon paragraph three if you wouldn't mind reading that for us there Yeah, it says, if God's children heed God's instruction and admonishment, their faith will be purified and their trust in the Lord strengthened. Wisdom for righteous living is gained through the dynamics of life with God amid temptations. Let me rephrase it, reread that. Wisdom for righteous living is gained through the dynamics of life with God amid temptations and challenges. Mm -hmm. Thus, the prayer that God would teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom reflects an ongoing commitment to walk in the faithfulness to in faithfulness to the Lord. Right. So the idea of counting our days so that we can have this heart of wisdom, follow the instruction of the Lord, 
reap the benefits now and forever on when he comes again. Amen. It's really the best experience God can possibly give for us is to walking in that path of righteousness. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the grand themes of Scripture we've explored and the Psalms reveal about you and your mercy and your sovereignty, your grandeur, your greatness. But Lord, in the practical things of life too, help us to never forget that that same God who's on the throne is with us day by day, step by step, leading us through your word into paths of bliss that the disobedient just can't ever have. Lord, please give us that heart of wisdom that we can be more like you that we can start experiencing your eternal life benefits even now, and we can share those with others as we look for and by your grace hasten the coming of Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.